I'm Laura Jones, and this is the Radioactive Summer Break. Tonight, the March on Washington of 1963, very much on the minds of organizers of this month's March on for Voting Rights. I'll talk with Martin Luther King III and his wife, Andrea Waters King, of the Drum Major Institute, as well as Utah's own Darlene McDonald. Darlene, she's been in Alabama, and we reached her on the Edmund Pettus Bridge this morning. She's part of the group organizing a satellite march in Utah. And later in the hour, I'll catch up with Malijah Garfield, director of the Black Cultural Center of the University of Utah, which earlier today announced its first-ever fellows of the Operation Success Program, powered by the George Floyd Memorial Fund. We start with a pick for our Songs of Summer playlist from Malijah. I've been listening to this song. It's been on my mind for some time now. Um, It's from the Netflix series, We the People. Um, that was created by or associated produced it by Barack Obama or pre- former President Obama and his wife and a couple others. Um, but it's a song called Taxes, Taxes from Corday. Uh, and that song, it's, it's a rap song, but it talks about taxes. Uh, and it's how he kind of frames taxes and everything is from the book. I mean, it's it's by the book, but it's amazing. And I just love that song. It keeps playing in my head, but I think people should watch that. Not only um, listen to that song, but watch the Netflix series We the People. Songs of Summer on KRCL 90.9. It's the radioactive summer break. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Have you been impacted by COVID and need rental assistance? Community health workers with Pacific Island Knowledge 2 Action Resources can help. Visit P-I-K- ar.org for details. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for tuning in for the Radioactive Summer Break tonight. Our community co-hosts have the summer off, but I'm still passing the microphone on important issues like voting rights. On August 28th, Martin Luther King III, Reverend Al Sharpton, and Alejandro Chavez, the grandson of Cesar Chavez, are spearheading peaceful, multi-ethnic marches March on for voting rights in five cities and in states where legislators recently passed voting restrictions. We'll hear from Utah activist Darlene McDonald in a bit on a satellite march planned here in Utah on the same day. But let's get to my conversation with the Kings, who are excited about the Beehive State's participation. Well, right now, first of all, we are so excited that Salt Lake City is one of our sister marches. Um, we're, we're excited about um, working with the, the community in Salt Lake City. But why now is because um, since January of this year, over 400 um, laws have been either voted upon or proposed in 49 states around our nation to basically suppress um, voting and make it harder for people to vote. So there are things such as um, less drop boxes. There are um, less places for people to vote, which consequently means longer lines, but then also making it a a crime to give out water in those long lines. Um, There here in Georgia, there's an an election oversight committee that um, um, clause in fact, basically that could overturn election results and the list goes on and on. So we're, we're at a critical juncture um, for our nation and, and the cornerstone of democracy and making it um, easier and more accessible and fair and just in voting. 
And quite frankly, you know, my dad and his team dedicated their lives to expanding the right to vote. And in fact, John Lewis and Hosea Williams, uh, who was on my father's team, John Lewis, of course, at the time was with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, walked over the Edmund Pettus Bridge and were beaten very badly. Uh, and then, of course, later on, my father and others led a march uh, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge into Montgomery, and the Voting Rights Act was passed back in 1965. But in 2013, the Supreme Court struck down uh, the Voting Rights Act. So once again, we are requesting and really demanding that the federal government be engaged because when you look at the fact that last year we had a great election, there was no fraud, there was uh, in, in our state and many states, they said, you know, we had a not a perfect election, but as perfect as one can be. And yet what the Republican uh, elected officials decided was, well, we need to we need to put more provisions in place to stop people from voting as opposed to expanding the right to vote. Well, what's interesting is here in Utah, we have a Republican supermajority. And they already expanded with um, early voting, vote by mail, um, same day voter registration. So those things that are being rolled back elsewhere were already in place and successful here in Utah and helping to increase voter turnout. So I'm grateful for that, but I realize that's not everywhere in the country and there's more we could do. In fact, later this hour, I'll be speaking with Malaysia Garfield, who's the director of the Black Cultural Center at the University of Utah, and he supports um, making election days holidays to increase access to the voting booth. Um, that's gotta be part of the call moving forward, I think. What do you think? Oh, I think that's a great idea. In fact, we've talked about that for a number of years. Why is election day on Tuesday? You know, we used to hear Chris Rock say, well, if you wanted to throw a big party and wanted everybody to come, let's do it on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't even think about it that way. You know, the 28th is also the anniversary of your dad's historic speech, the I Have a Dream speech. I'm guessing that'll be on everyone's mind at the event. That's why that, oh. I'm answering for you, but also I, I just wanted to go back real quickly and number one, obviously commend um, Utah and the residents of Utah, but also to remind people not to rest on your laurels. And you have to remember here in Georgia, all of those things were in place for the last um, election, which is why we saw record turnout, not only nationally, but in our state, which is why during the runoff, you know, we were successful in electing Georgia's first African-American sen senator, as well as our first Jewish senator. So just because those things are in place that, and we certainly should celebrate, we should never um, take it for granted that there cannot be legislation that are put in place to roll those back. And the reason why we are coming together is that to show people the importance in on Capitol Hill, all over the nation, that this is a cause that the entire nation um, supports. I mean, polling is with us on this, that this is something that our nation supports. And so it's important in every community, in every city, for our legislators, our Congress people, our senators to see people out there standing for voting rights. And, 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 I, I, and I would add that because it is the anniversary of I Have a, Day, I Have a Dream speech or the March on Washington, uh, that march was specifically focused on jobs and peace, jobs, peace, and freedom. 
and 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 then of course 65 uh, 64 the civil rights act was signed 65 the voting rights act was signed so this specifically is march on for voter voting rights to to as i said expand and i think while you know we we think it certainly greatly appropriate uh, to convene around the March on Washington. Last year, we did a march that was focused on, you know, police brutality and misconduct, uh, as well as encouraging people to vote. And we had over 200,000 people in Washington uh, last year. Uh, we were all masked, uh, temperatures were taken. So one of the things that we're adhering to is the, you know, the protocols for the pandemic. We, we're not, uh, you know, telling people they must wear masks, but we are encouraging them. Now, I think the city of Washington has a mandate, so obviously we have to follow the law of the city. But there may be some areas in other states. We're doing five flagship states and another, I don't know, five it may be uh, another five or so sister marches and over 50 activations. So in 50 different places around this country, People are going to be, uh, in a constructive way, uh, talking about expanding the right to vote on August 28th. Well, and as I look at it and folks that are involved, um, it's you're the next generation recruiting the next generation. This Every generation has to define this for themselves. And I, are you worried about that moving forward at all, the two of you? Um, well, I, who's coming you know, next? My mom used to say, as you just enumerated, that every generation has to earn its freedom. Uh, I'm disappointed that that is the, the way it is today. I expect that to change because when I look at the young people that are engaged today, including our daughter who's 13 years old, when I was 13, I was not a social uh, justice activist, but we have so many young people today, the, the Parkland kids uh, who now are older, but, uh, the, the, and, and there are many, many younger, uh, Greta Thornburg in the world community dealing with uh, climate change, the young little Miss Flint dealing with water issues. And there's so many of them. They want to be engaged and want to create a better world for all of God's children. And so I, I just think I'm excited about the activism of young people being in, engaged uh, and, and we are calling on them. In fact, our daughter will be speaking this year as well at the March uh, for Voting Rights. And one of the things is that one of the things that we know is that the, the flames um, of the, inter the eternal flames of peace, justice and equity are always they have to be continually um, fanned by individuals. And the way that we see it is the torch has now been passed to a new generation, that torch of freedom and peace, justice and equity. And it's all of our terms to continue to fan those flames so that those embers do not go out. It's, it's just a responsibility of, of, of humanity. Well, Martin and Andrea, thanks for giving me some time today and the March On for Voting Rights coming up in DC on the 28th of August, also here in Salt Lake City. We'll get some details on that in just a minute, but can you give us uh, some closing inspiration for the folks here in Utah to participate? Look, the one thing I would say is that it only takes a few good women and men to bring about change. And I've had the opportunity to work uh, with um, uh, the, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. In fact, I'm gonna be speaking at BYU uh, toward the end of September. So I'm looking forward to coming out there. And we have a lot of friends uh, out, uh, out, out, out there in, in Utah. But 
my dad and his team understood, again, and my mom throughout her leadership, that just a few good women and men could bring about change. And they stayed diligent in a nonviolent way, challenged this nation to be the best that it could be. And that's really what we're doing. We're not, again, it's really about expanding, not reducing the opportunity for every citizen to vote. Well said. One of the, I would just add to everything, everything that Martin said is that one of the, the things I think that people have questioned over and over is, you know, would I have marched with Martin Luther King Jr.? And so my question and my plea to them is, are you marching now? Because this is the issue of our generation. This is our time to stand for laws that lift us all up and not limit us. Andrea Waters King and Martin Luther King III of the March on for Voting Rights, happening in D.C. on August 28th. Satellite marches are taking place across the country, and you can learn more at marchonforvotingrights.org. Closer to home, a satellite march is planned for 10 a.m. here in Salt Lake City. To find out more, I caught up with Utah activist Darlene McDonald on her summer vacation today. She just happened to be on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Here's that conversation. Hi, this is Darlene McDonald, and I am in Selma, Alabama, and I am about to walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. Darlene. Want to come along with me? Uh, absolutely, but I want to know why you're there first. Uh, you know, I felt moved to come because I feel like we're back where we were in the 1960s when they made that march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1964, well, 1965 with um, John Lewis and, and Amelia Borton and many other marchers. We actually just left the church where they all met uh, at the church before they walked over the bridge. So we just left that church. So now we're back here. And with the attacks on the voting rights and people are marching again. So we have a march planned in Utah on on August the 28th at 10 a.m. at the Capitol. That will be the 58th anniversary of the I Have a Dream speech. So we're gonna be marching again, and we're gonna march until we can guarantee the right to vote for everyone, for everyone. Darlene, when you so, say we are in Selma, who are you with? <laughs> I'm with my wonderful husband, Michael. <laughs> He's my tag along. So you decided this is how I'm spending my summer vacation. That's commitment, Darlene, commitment to the cause. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's needed. We, we have to remember. And I, I always say sometimes before we can go forward, we have to go back in order to remember where we were, to remember where, what we, why we're here, what we went through to get here and where we need to go. So... I said, we got to go back. We got to go back because I think people have forgotten what people went through to make our voting rights even possible, to even make it possible for us to vote. And I know the, the, the Senate has just adjourned, I believe, yesterday without passing any type of significant voting rights laws or passing any bills. Even in Utah, and this is so what we are calling this is from Salt Lake to Selma, because people like to think that Utah is in a bubble and we're not. We're not in a bubble. And what happens, what's happening around the country is also happening in Utah. 
and there are state legislators who are talking about election integrity. This past election, 2020, was one of the most safest elections we've had. If you want to talk about election integrity, let's talk about what happened in 2016. But in 2020, election integrity, so that's basically code for voter disenfranchisement. And we have people who marched across that bridge to make sure that everyone has the right to vote. So we have to remember what they did for us, what they did for every single future generation to be able to vote. So that's, that's why we're here. So you are part of the uh, organizing group for the Satellite March on August 28th. Yes. Where is it going to start? Where is it going to go? We're going to start at the Capitol, the Capitol building, on August the 28th at 10 a.m. And the reason why it's going to be at 10 a.m. because the East Coast times for Washington, D.C. March, that was loud. <laughs> that starts at noon. So all of these city, the sister marches, are going to just tie in with the major marches on the East Coast, which is on Eastern Standard Time. And are you still working on the lineup? More details to come? If so, where can people find all the info? Yes, there's more details to come right now. You can go to our our website, which is 1UTP, 1U as in Utah, (laughs) T as in Tom and P as in Paul, 1UTP.org. And there's a Get Involved link at the top, and they'll take you straight to the information about the march. Or you can check us out on Facebook, which is March On for Voter Rights Utah. That you'll also find us there on Facebook. Okay, you ready to walk across the bridge with yeah, me? I want to see you walk across that bridge. Oh, because <laughs> I want I want you guys to be able to walk across the bridge as well. Be careful. As you can see, the Edmund Pettus Bridge is a working, live, living bridge. <laughs> It's also very, very beautiful. We we came early this morning, right when the sun was coming up. And when I first stepped onto the bridge and with this with the sun, it just in that second it peeked out from the clouds. It was very, very, very surreal. What, so, do you th- what are you thinking as you're walking across this bridge? You know, I'm glad you just asked that question because I'm starting to get emotional right now. Um, I'm thinking about 1965 and I'm, I'm well, this is really, I'm really feeling this right now. March because this is this is where the troopers met the marchers, the marchers with the billy clubs and the dogs. We just met with uh, William Chestnut Jr, I believe. His father was one of the attorneys for Dr. King. And he was the one that would bail him out a lot of times when he was put into jail. 
And he was there on that day. And he said, the pictures doesn't do it justice. Because when those clubs came down on those marchers, you could hear the batons crack the skull. You could actually hear the bones breaks. He saw teeth flying out of people's mouths. He said to this day, when he hears something that sounds like that, he still flinches. I mean, can you imagine? Has it come into view for you? Yes. Is it lifting your spirits? I can feel them. As cars and trucks course by you on the Edmund Pettus Bridge and you're approaching the view that, that most of us would recognize from photos and video footage. Is it um, on one it's hand? It's surreal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, the cars, you know, I, I'm glad they're here because you have to know that day it wasn't quiet. If these cars were not going by, it would probably be quiet. That day was not quiet. There were screams and people running, many for their lives. All for the right to vote. All for the right to vote. You know, I think also people remember or forget it was even for the right to be able to register to vote. I think we forget about that part. Mostly, like Mega Evers was killed registering Black people to vote, just registering. And we forget that. Many Black people were denied the right to vote once they showed up at the poll station. They either have poll taxes or poll questions, literacy tests. I'm gonna stay right here for a second so you guys can take this in. This is, this is the Edmund Pettus Bridge. This is the place where Bloody Sunday took place with John Lewis and about 300 other marchers were met by state troopers, were beaten with clubs, had bitten by dogs. John Lewis was beaten in his head. The scar remained on his head for the rest of his life. He was 25 years old when that happened. Amelia Boynton, she died in 2015, but she got to she got to walk across the bridge with President Obama and John Lewis before she passed away. Well, she, she was in a wheelchair at that point, though, but she was, she was able to cross the bridge with them. Mr. Chestnut passed away two months before Obama was elected in 2008. He, he, his son said that he had a feeling that Obama was going to win, but he passed away before November happened. So he didn't get to see it, but his work 
his his life work, the life work of John Lewis, the life work of Dr. King, the life work of Amelia Boynton, of Mega Evers, the life work is what made a of President Obama even possible. So Darlene, as you're crossing under the as you're crossing under the arch of the Edmund Pettus Bridge to the other side, are you sensing there's another side of there's another side of where we are right now that we can get somewhere together? Yes, we can. I, I think for me especially like I said Remembering how we got here is important. The work that has been done to make this possible. And when I say this possible, I mean, we we take so many things for granted. And one of the things that we take for granted is voting. Utah has vote by mail. And I I believe Utah is probably one of the, the states that does a really good job of making it easier for, for people to vote. And the fact that we have state legislators in Utah that questions the integrity of the vote is, for me, is disingenuous because they should be on the front line. They should actually, we just walked under the Edmund Pettus Bridge, you guys. So <laughs> I just wanted, wanted to stop and bring that to you. You just did it. You just did it. Um, they should be one of the fierce advocates for how to do this right instead of following along with the big lie. And for that, I think it's, it's, it's too bad. That's where we lose trust in our legislators because they know that there's no, I mean, yeah, some people vote when they're not supposed to. They, there are cases where people were on parole and in a state that doesn't allow parolees to, to vote and they don't, and they don't know that and they show up and they vote. That, that's, that is voter fraud. You can call that voter fraud. But that's the sort of thing that usually happens. There, it's very rare that somebody will vote twice or vote for a dead person, it does happen. We know that it's happened. It happened, I think, in North Carolina or something like that. But as far as widespread voter fraud to the point where it could change the outcome of an election, that doesn't happen. The reason why we are here, really, the why voter integrity is such a big issue on the right is because a lot of Black people <laughs> showed up to vote. And when you research the history of who gets to vote in America, the Black vote and the right to vote for Black people has always been in question as to whether or not Black people should vote or if they know how to vote and if they're going to vote the right way if they're sophisticated or smart enough to vote. And if the previous president had won the election, we would not be having this discussion. I probably may or may not even be here. I don't know. <laughs> we got the personal guided tour of the Edmund Pettus Bridge 
named for a Confederate soldier. I think yes. that history yeah. has been re rewritten as to what that bridge symbolizes due to the sacrifices of civil rights marchers uh, and the cause there. Um, I had to remind myself who it was named after because my memories are of what civil rights did in changing the story of the Edmund Pettus Bridge and the sacrifice you were talking about earlier. And there's some controversy as to whether or not the bridge should be renamed. Um, right now, I'm under the mindset that it should not be. It should stay the Edmund Pettus Bridge. For all its complicated history. It's a, it's a complicated history, but this particular history, I think, needs to stay. Because I, I believe that if you change the name of this bridge, people will forget what happened on this bridge. And I, I mean, no one should ever forget what happened on this bridge. Well, on August 28th, the 58th anniversary of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, the March on for yeah. Voting Rights in D.C., and satellite marches across the country, including in Salt Lake City. Darlene, be safe, be well. I know you're on your summer vacation, and that's a great essay to write if you were <laughs> going back to school, right? <laughs> what I did on my summer vacation. But I'm uh, really grateful that you are willing to um, Zoom with us and give us your thoughts and a guided tour today. Oh, it, it's my pleasure to be able to bring this back to Utah for you and to, hey, keep working. Keep hope alive. <laughs> Utah activist Darlene McDonald taking us along as she walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama earlier this morning. Check tonight's show notes for the video side of our conversation, which I condensed for the broadcast. I'll also include a link to the Utah March on for Voting Rights, set for 10 a.m. August 28th at the Utah Capitol. When we come back, Melijah Garfield of the Black Cultural Center at the University of Utah on the first Operation Success Fellows powered by the George Floyd Memorial Fund. KRCL invites you to support back-to-school supply drives, like that of the Community Action and Fellowship Foundation. Drop off backpacks, notebooks, pens, paper, lightly used laptops, phones, and flash drives at Uprock 1594 South, State Street in Salt Lake City by August 20th. This is the Radioactive Summer Break, and I'm Laura Jones. Now it's time to catch up with community co-host Melijah Garfield. He's got the summer off from Radioactive, but he is busy getting ready for students returning to campus as director of the Black Cultural Center at the University of Utah. Here's our conversation. Malaysia, it's been a while. I know the summer has brought some changes in your life. So congratulations first on entering into a new chapter as a married man. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, it's definitely a learning process, um, but I love it every moment of it. Um, yes, it has been very huge life changes, I would say, this summer. Yeah. Well, you know, from this summer to last, huge changes in our community and in our society, and I wanted to get caught up in what's happening with the Black Cultural Center as students are headed back to campus here. Um, talk about coronavirus, critical race theory, but let's start with some some good news, a new program you're launching. Tell us about it. Yes, uh, thank you. So actually we've been, um, if you've heard any of the news last summer, we had our former president, President Watkins establish uh, George Floyd Memorial Fund here at the University of Utah. Um, and with this fund, she placed it in 
the Black Cultural Center for us to kind of create programming um, addressing leadership development um, for students through the Black Cultural Center. And with that, we took a year to kind of develop a program. And with that, we've come up with a program which is called Operation Success, Students United to Create Cultural Success Stories. Um, and they, this program will be starting actually this month um, um, after about a year of planning, I would say. Uh, we have four fellows, which is an undergrad, two undergrad students and two grad students. Um, and in this program, they will basically learn everything about leadership, um, and as well as they'll be creating a project proposal addressing a problem um, rather and on their campus, locally, um, the country or in the globe, um, particularly to the black community. So an issue that may be in the black community in any one of those realms of spheres of influence um, and creating a program to address that. And so I'm excited. <laughs> Who are the inaugural fellows? So we have four students, uh, two grad, two undergrad. The two grad students will be Tyler Clark and Irisha uh, Hubbard. And then we have Jen Howe, as well as Christine Hickson. Well, I'd love to extend KRCL's microphone to them as they put together their project to yes. come on and talk about it or do a show specific to it, whatever we can do to amplify the work that they'll be doing. Yes, um, I would love that actually. That would be that would be amazing um, if we can definitely do that. Yes. <laughs> so that is some great news to start the academic year. I'm really excited to see what comes from that, especially the fruit of that work will be incredible. Is that what you're hoping to leverage? Some real uh, action in the community? Yes. So the, the main message behind that and why this program is being established, and we say why George Floyd and of course all these things, I think the the important aspect of this program is to at least acknowledge that leadership should not be the status quo, um, and especially institutions should not be the status quo. And so this program is to develop our future leaders here in the community to really establish and change the status quo for what is to come. Um, and rather than be developing through a project proposal, rather than be learning skills such as emotional intelligence, rather than be learning about how to proactively um, not only utilize the institution, but on top of that, you know, navigate the institution itself um, because we want to change the status quo. Yeah. Well, you're entering the third academic year with the Black Cultural Center, and I just wanted to read from your website using a Pan-African lens. The BCC seeks to holistically enrich, support, and advocate for faculty, staff, and students through Black-centered research, culturally affirming educational initiatives, and service. So how's that going after two years under, <laughs> under your belt, entering your third? So uh, to be completely honest, I would say it was going well, and then we had COVID. <laughs> I know, uh, right? <laughs> we had COVID, and with that, um, everything kind of died. Now we, we were able to, which I would, people keep telling me, Melange, you got to pay credit to what is due. You were still doing things. So I was still doing programs and initiatives throughout that year. It was a rough year for everybody on campus. Um, but I think the biggest challenge going into this third year is that I only had about a year of the yeah. center being really open. And so now I have to reintroduce the Black Cultural Center to not only the campus, but to the larger community. Mm -hmm. And so this is a grand opportunity, I guess. I love reintroductions. And so this <laughs> is a, re a grand reintroduction of the Black Cultural Center. Yeah. All right. We'll talk about coronavirus and um, 
its impact on the Black Cultural Center in terms of reaching students, reaching uh, into the community and where we need to go next? Yes. Uh, so I would definitely say that um, last year was, and, and continuing to in this year as well, it has been extremely difficult um, as far as in just the Black Cultural Center and a lot of our programming, we had to kind of either shut down or move entirely virtually. Um, and so a lot of that, and then I would say the basic aspect of that is that it was very troubling for the Black Cultural Center because a lot of what we do is the, the center being open. It is a space, yeah. a home away from home for a students. A drop-in, yeah. Yeah, a drop-in and, a, and a, definitely a place for people to kind of feel welcome. And so when that's closed down, I mean, you can we were able to navigate and still do events and stuff online, but you didn't have that homey feel. You didn't have that place to retreat to still. And so... Uh, I really think that COVID kind of dampered a lot of what we mm -hmm. can kind of do, but I believe it also allowed us to really evaluate how we kind of go about not only student safety, but like germs and <laughs> navigating yeah. how we, oh, yeah. uh, you know, cleanliness of the spaces on campus and how we reevaluate how do we um, make sure that students not necessarily just their safety overall, but also like their health, like making sure that they are good to go, that they don't, um, you know, contract uh, uh, COVID or on top of that, that they're just taking preventative measures. And well, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. What did you hear from, from students as you're just starting to make these relationships after a year and then you get swamped with COVID? Um, what are their big concerns coming back to campus? Have you heard any of that? Yes. So the bigger concerns, I would say, and just some students that I've talked to, um, some students have just stated, okay, um, they're kind of upset. They had a whole almost, some students are, they entered it around freshman or sophomore year. They're now juniors and seniors. And they and feel so stalled, I'm guessing, a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, they feel stalled and they're just like, I feel like my, my education has been robbed. Like my experience of being a student has been robbed. And so I, I think they're coming, their feelings um, coming back to the institution now is just like, okay, I want to do everything and everything um, because I missed out basically almost a year and a half, <laughs> yeah. which is very crucial years of your development here at the institution. Um, and so I, I really think, um, or what they have told me is just really kind of navigating that um, as well as a lot of students we had um, had to work a couple of jobs or they've lost jobs um, during COVID on top of working. So kind of going back into they're looking for more assistance and need and, um, and we're here to provide it. But yeah, just really the challenges of that. More than ever, they need the need. <laughs> Talking with Malaysia Garfield, who is director of the Black Cultural Center at the University of Utah, um, great announcement about Operation Success and your first fellows for the George Floyd Memorial Fund. I want to talk critical race theory with you. We ran into each other over the summer and um, I'm like, we got to start breaking this down. You know, we've had the headlines. We had the, on top of COVID, the civil unrest in our community and across the country. And now the world, it seems like, well, debating what critical race theory is or isn't and who gets to say what and when and how from public school to higher ed. And I'm curious how the BCC is going to address it, facilitate it, 
move the conversation in our community? Uh, so I would say, thank you. Uh, yes, we did talk about that. And I know it's been a, a long summer around critical race theory, as we know in certain states such as Oklahoma and Idaho, um, which are kind of neighboring or in the arena of our, our states, um, both have passed bills um, kind of not directly banning uh, CRT, but have attached things yeah. in the realm of diversity. There's been, a, I would say, yeah. a, not just CRT, but more of an attack of diversity. Well, over. I can't remember, I can't remember which place, but they were, you know, you can't use the word empathy. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yes. Uh, and so, are you just are you laughing and crying at the same time? I am. I, I, I'm more so laughing and I'm laughing and crying. It's a it's a a cry of sorrow. I would say <laughs> I'm laughing of sorrow. And the thing is, um, really, just trying to understand where is this all coming from? So fear, uh, fear, fear. And then on top of that, like the whole thing that was happening here in the state of just uh, CRT being taught in K through 12 when it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. CRT is more of a graduate level kind of yeah. uh, instruction, graduate student level. So like those not even undergrad really take CRT like that. And so I was just wondering where my confusion of it all was, where was all mm. this coming from? It's uh, the further weaponization of race and the conversation about race to keep us from having the conversation about <laughs> exactly um and so i yeah that was my biggest gripe with it was just okay so where is this coming from where are we trying to say and then on top of that noticing that in several states that were banning it um the language was basically identical so it wasn't necessarily that each state had their own you know aspect of why they didn't want crt they were just copying it was just like no this is just a movement that we're doing across the country it's not individualized. It's not something that each state thought about. And it all came up in this year. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, something's we, behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and um, we're always talking about the Utah way, right? Um, and I think it's a bit overused at this point because we're taking these templates from other places and trying to put them on here with this layer of politics. So um, maybe this is our challenge because you're going to stay involved with Radioactive and, and Thursday nights moving forward once we get everyone back in the studio, Malaysia, yes. for new studios. And I'm thinking, you know, we start just breaking it down. If, if to speak, speaking to the broadest audience possible, <laughs> what's your advice on this conversation? My greatest advice, I would say, on CRT is before we put feelings or political aspirations behind us, just look it up. What is CRT? I think a lot of the debate that is going around on CRT, most of the people have not read up on CRT because again, it's not taught on a, yeah. uh, basically it's not taught in K through 12, nor in yeah. undergrad. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing this down. Number one, Google it. Yes, Google <laughs> CRT. Google CRT. I would also say that like, um, utilize the resources that are here in the state. So we have like a whole school of transform here at the University of Utah um, that we have professors that do teach um, CRT. Um, we have, um, and so, you know, just read up on various professors that are doing the work already here. Um, as well as I recommend, there is a book, 
the title of the book is Critical Race Theory and Introduction. So this book I read in my um, graduate program. Not in kindergarten was, then, right? Not right? in kindergarten. I studied it in my master's program. Um, and it was an introduction to critical race theory um, by Richard um, Del, uh, Delato and then Jean Sefric, which pardon the names. Um, but I would re- you I'll should put re- in the show notes. <laughs> yes, put in the show notes. But please, I would advise um, anybody that just wants to know overall what critical race theory, if they just pick up this book, it's not a huge book. It's really um kind of base breaks it down to like what are the, all the aspects of critical race theory what are the main components of it and how do we kind of have larger conversations around it and so i learned this in my master's program and i, I encourage everybody to kind of just pick up an introduction to it yeah so malaysia we have so much more to talk about and we can't get to it all at once but let's do a little current events we already talked about critical race theory what about um vote voting voter registration voter suppression uh, the bill being blocked back in congress the march on for voting rights coming up at the end of the month what's your thoughts Ooh, uh voting rights i am uh, another thing with uh cr it's comparable to crt like where is this all coming from i i don't um especially i know that they struck down some of the um some of these uh, Voting Rights Act of 1964, I know, um, and Shelby versus Holder, um, they've kind of struck down a little bit of this uh, Voting Rights Act. And so I'm, I know that was like in, what is it, 2015 or so, and then mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, I am just more so like, where is, where is this coming from? Why are we trying to take away voting rights of citizens? And why aren't we making it easier all around? <laughs> Yes, in my suggestion, and this is like, this is just me. This is not a representative of the Black Cultural Center. I would really love for uh, voting. I would love for Election Day to be a holiday. I would love for it. I think we should make Election Day a holiday. And I think from there, um, everyone should be able to have the time to vote um, and that there we should have ample voting um, places for people across the country to vote. And I think a large challenge that we have here today is that one, we have taken away access. We've taken voting polls um, or stations out of areas that are high impact. We've, um, and not necessarily just in Utah, but I'm just in the country per se, but we there's a lot of measure that have been in individual states that have been doing this. Um, we've just taken away a lot of that power. And we also, we try to put voting, to, um, there's other strategic things where they have put voting um, on election day during the times of like 11 and two, Oh, and we know that a lot of people are working, working individuals, like who's taking the time to go and vote and maybe wait in line for three hours when they got work. And so my my greater thing is just like, we need to make election day a holiday. Yeah. And then from there, definitely kind of change the structure of some things around. So in real life and online, where can folks catch up with, learn more about, get involved with the Black Cultural Center at the University of Utah? Yes, so they can um, definitely follow us on our website, which is um, diversity.utah.edu slash BCC, um, and they can find all the information on that. Now, if you would like a more personable um, stance on how we deal with the Black Cultural Center, you can follow us on Instagram, as well as um, Facebook and Twitter at U of U BCC, um, and it's at U of U 
BCC. Um, and with that, they can find out, I guess, even more quickly than what we put on the website, um, like what things are going on, if they want to participate in events, um, and so on and so forth. But, yeah. Are you open for drop-ins on campus? I am open for drop-ins. Where is it? Uh, uh, we are right on Fort Douglas across the street from the guest house here on campus. Um, and we're at 95 Fort Douglas, uh, building 603. Um, and so anyone can drop by. I would love and more than welcome. Um, we have um, a whole center, a house, as you say. Um, and then in there we have, if anybody wants to learn, we have a build, we're building a small library of African-American literature and various books um, that people can learn from on anti-Blackness and Blackness overall um, and things of the nature. But yeah. Malaysia Garfield of the Black Cultural Center at the University of Utah. They've got great events open to the community as well as students. So check tonight's show notes for a link and get involved. I'm Laura Jones, and that is the show. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now! Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike at 8. The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30. I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich at 1. Illustrated Blues with Jolene at 3. Tonight, I'll leave you with Something Has to Change, the new one from Rodney Crowell right here on KRCL 90.9. Have a great night, everybody.